Hello and welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the site and sound greatest films of all time critics poll week by week and discuss what makes a great film great. I am Brian. I am Hannah. Yes, and today we have a guest on who I'm very excited about. We have Ooh. Felicia Maroney from the Seeing Faces in Movies podcast. Felicia, Yay. it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I, lo- I love the podcast and I was very <laughs> happy to be asked to come oh, on. Oh, that's that sweet. This one yeah. was still picked. All right. Yes. This film was still available. So, very well, happy. Felicia, what movie are, did we watch this week? We watched Max Ulfus's The Earrings of Madame De. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll get into a summary and then I'd love to hear. Um, I know you love this movie, you, spoiler, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to hear why you love it, why you picked it. Okay, so it's 1900s Paris, and a rich woman named Louise is deeply in debt and decides to sell the diamond earrings that her husband, Andre, gave her as a wedding gift. She lies about the sale to Andre and pretending they are lost. He soon finds out the truth, but does not confront her about it. He himself regains control of the earrings and gives them to a lover uh, who is leaving the country for Constantinople. In a twist of fate, the earrings are then purchased in Constantinople by Fabrizio Donati, an Italian baron. Fabrizio travels to Paris and meets Louise, not knowing that the earrings originally belonged to her. Louise and Fabrizio fall in love, but Andre soon returns. Louise decides to take a holiday in Italy in order to forget Fabrizio, and Fabrizio gives her the earrings. Louise sees it as fate, and when she arrives back in Paris, she continues her affair with Fabrizio. But she lies to both Fabrizio and Andre about the earrings' fateful journey back to her. Andre reveals Luis's deception to Fabrizio, and Fabrizio breaks things off with her. Andre forces Louise to give the earrings away, but she buys them back, selling many of her possessions. Upon seeing how much the earrings mean to Louise, Andre faces Fabrizio to a duel. Louise races to stop the duel, but hears a single shot, and presuming that Fabrizio has been killed, she has a fainting spell and dies she leaves her precious earrings to a nearby shrine okay a lot going on there so felicia tell us why you love this movie well i saw this for the first time actually not even that long ago maybe a couple years ago and when you guys approached me about coming on like immediately i was like oh i wonder if madame de is still available and it was i was like okay this is perfect um it was one of those movies that I'd kind of heard about and then finally just was like, okay, now it's time to put it on, not thinking much, not knowing anything about it. And it just blew my mind. I just think it's so beautifully shot. And the concept of the earrings going back and forth and back and forth could mm-hmm. seem gimmicky and be, you know, in the hands of another storyteller, I think it wouldn't have been handled as well yeah it's it's a love story it's a love triangle and i just as a huge deceka fan fell even more in love with him because i have a huge crush on the baron i do not question her (laughs) you know (laughs) leaving her husband ish for him i just think on each watch that i fall more in love with the story and you know, you kind of understand her motivations, even if you're not fully backing her, because obviously she's in the wrong. But sometimes I guess it's like, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. So 
I don't know. It's yeah. when you read the summary like that, it's which is a perfect summary. It sounds like mm-hmm. it's over dramatic, <laughs> but yeah. I kind of like a melodrama. So that's yeah. definitely why I wanted to watch it. With I love guys. a melodrama too. And a love triangle and just mm-hmm. frivolity. I think, yes. I think you're, I agree with, you know, the concept of these earrings kind of and, and how, really the story centers around them could be done in a way that is kind of cheesy. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's done really well. I mean, these earrings are like one of a kind and they're giant, they're gorgeous. And I think they, they represent this just like huge kind of fr- fr- frivolity and ownership. And there's so much there. And so that the the story kind of revolves around them. And even in the prologue, it said something like Madame Day is, um, you know, has it had a normal life were it not for these earrings. And yeah. I don't know. I think that they just keep creeping up in ways that kind of show you the the drama of the situation of of being dissatisfied in your marriage and being in debt because of your lifestyle and just desiring freedom to love who you want to love. Um and exactly. yeah. I thought I I agree. I thought this was beautiful. And uh just a little side note for the fashion. Oh my gosh, yes. the dresses, gorgeous. I want to live in 1900s France just for like a day until you yeah. try to put a corset on me and then no corsets, but <laughs> really, really beautifully just set and costume design. And yeah, the the camera angles and the way it's filmed, I mean, it's really beautiful. Brian, yeah, what do you think? Certainly. Yeah, I also really enjoyed this. Um, I think what stood out to me in sort of a fun way, and sometimes I don't like this in movies, but for some reason I was really digging it uh, with this one, is how it never really settles into a premise. It's sort of constantly evolving like what it's trying to do throughout. So you never sort of have the like, I don't know. It, it was very fuzzy where like the the acts end and begin if you're like thinking about the structure of it. But uh, and you're getting new information, new characters introduced sort of late in the movie. Um, the earrings keep coming back and you sort of trace their parallel path with Luis's emotional journey. So it's just a lot that it's doing that i found really interesting so yeah i'm uh i'm excited to uh dive into it here because i feel like there is a good bit to talk about with this movie mm-hmm. so yeah because um, it, it felt like it it wasn't it wasn't just a romance story for the girlies like it's not it's not no my dad always calls those novels uh, bodice rippers. Like it's not titlet. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not just for like this insatiable lives of aristocratic or bourgeoisie or whatever their class is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for someone like you, Brian, who does not gravitate towards um, love stories, love triangles, stories about jewelry, <laughs> um, or period mm-hmm. pieces, really, or period pieces. Much, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. I think it it was a step above. Well, I, I guess I could say the things that have tried to replicate it have done it in much lower quality of story and filming and all those things. And this just feels kind of like the pinnacle of what this genre could be. In a way I, I mean, I agree. Definitely. I think the only one that might have 
or that I think that is probably just as equally as good as uh, The Age of Innocence and mm. rewatching it reminded me of that. Uh, I'm almost like 100% sure Scorsese was influenced by this film when he made that oh, one because yeah. there's no way he hasn't seen this movie and doesn't love it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> this is to me is like peak French film <laughs> for me. Yeah, absolutely. What, did it, what was the movie we watched, Brian? The... Um... Oh gosh, all the rich French people at the mansion with the with the chase scene for the podcast. Oh, the rules of the game. Rules of the yes. game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I couldn't. I mean, I know like French mid century, sure, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it just felt like similar. Like mm-hmm. lots of camera movement, lots of dolly work, lots of deep focus. So I think it is definitely in the tradition of Renoir in terms of the style and then also just focusing on sort of the the uber rich um mm-hmm. and uh in a little more critical of a way um so definitely uh can see its uh influences in the movie that movies that it's influenced as well so that's neat absolutely Let's talk a little bit about Max Ophel. So this is his uh, the first movie of his that I've seen. Uh, Felicia, have you seen any others? Yeah, I've seen a few. I've seen as uh, a huge amount, but I've seen mm-hmm. La Ronde and then Caught is another really good one with James mm-hmm. Mason. Uh, some of his stuff is sort of similar to this, and then he kind of has like the noirish crime stuff that he did. Oh, so neat. Caught is really good, yeah. uh, but definitely want to watch more. Yeah, wonderful. So he is a German-born Jewish director. <laughs> so given the time period, you can imagine he had somewhat of a, a fraught history. He starts out in Germany, moves to France when the politics are getting more fraught in the 30s. So he goes to France makes a movie in Italy, makes a movie in the Netherlands, goes to the U.S. and makes a bunch of movies, comes back to France and makes a bunch of movies. So he's sort of all over the place in terms of where he's going, directing in a bunch of different languages. Um, Really, his his later films are his best known. And so this like last stretch in France is pretty famous. You get uh, Madame Day is his second to last film. Uh, that he makes but then there are some of the u.s made ones that are also pretty well liked uh from what i've what i've seen so i'm certainly uh interested to uh to check out more um and speaking of james mason i came across this <laughs> poem that james mason the actor wrote about max Ophuls that i thought was really funny and surprisingly well written <laughs> I don't know if James Mason had a background in poetry, but it seems like he could have if he'd wanted to. So here's James Mason's poem about Max Ophuls. A shot that does not call for tracks is agony for poor dear Max, who, separated from his dolly, is wrapped in deepest melancholy. Once, when they took away his crane, I thought he'd never smile again. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was so funny. That's cute. Boy loves his toys. (laughs) Yes. So that's a good, I think, uh, place to talk about the cinematography of 
this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, The camera is always moving in this movie. Some of them are like dolly shots. Some of them are pretty simple pans, but you're always following the characters around as they're doing different things. Just the motion in this for a relative. I mean, it's, uh, you know, like, like we've been saying, it's, it's a drama. It's not mm-hmm. necessary. There's not a lot of like action, so to speak. It's mostly people talking, but the the camera movement keeps it very engaging throughout i'd say um so yeah yeah what did you you all think of this i mean i agree it's it's, there's a lot of talking and because that time period in their class they're always on the move and there's a lot of balls that they're going to Mm -hmm. a lot of parties and it's just following you know them through that even like the dance scene they're just kind of going around yes. them and weaving through the people and then uh i had read that he wanted to shoot this originally he wanted to shoot it all through mirrors just to show the vanity of the people of this class but i guess someone was like listen that's a bit much so <laughs> get away from that which you do get a couple shots like i think the opening shot when you finally see her is through the mirror uh, oh it's such a brilliant her. opening shot yeah, one of the beautiful. best opening shots I've ever seen because it has it's not just beautiful it has intention of centering us on her perspective because you're mm-hmm. seeing what she's looking at and even when you see her face for the first time it's through a mirror like she would see her own face mm-hmm. and yeah. so it's communicating to you like this movie is from her perspective from the get-go which I really yeah. I thought was great yeah. And I just Very love before much. you even see her face, you see her beautiful, delicate hands as she as she peruses her things that she can sell. Like, oh, could it be my furs? Oh, could it be my jewels? Like, there's just this, like, the way her delicate hands are just touching all of her pieces of priceless mm-hmm. finery. Um, and, and yeah, that I always like kind of like in... Um, a portrait of a lady on fire when it, it the slow reveal to someone's face is mm-hmm. so powerful it really really causes you to just be so desperate like show me what they look like um i agree i i thought this was filmed really beautifully i i agree with you felicia about the dance scenes i think being able to capture the swirliness of dance but also <laughs> maintain folk i know swirliness maintain <laughs> the focus on the characters faces and get their dialogue or even a lot of times when you're kind of almost having the montage of dancing scenes between Luis and um, um, the lover. Oh, my goodness. Fabrizio. Fabrizio. There's three people in this movie. I should remember their names. Um, <laughs> and when he's just asking, you know, have you heard from him? Have you heard from him? Like, it's it's not a lot of dialogue, but the connection with them is not the dancing just happens to be happening and how it captures the movement of dancing, but also their very intimate closeness. Um, I think that's tricky to do when there's so much movement. And there were a couple of shots that were kind of like through windows or through like plants or something Mm -hmm. um, that just kind of felt like it's this this like secret whisper that was happening. Like it's almost like the camera's creeping up and just catching like, you know, reality tv getting the argument when they don't think the camera's rolling yeah um uh, yeah. yeah i i tend to not notice 
or not pay attention to the way something is filmed. I guess maybe I'm getting better at this, but it's not something I, I, I innately gravitate towards is how a movie is filmed um, unless it's mm-hmm. really good or really bad. Um, so either this was really good or I'm getting better at noticing it and thinking about it. Cause that's not something I anticipated wanting to make a mental note of with this movie or this director. I'd never yeah. heard of this movie or this director. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the way it was shot was beautiful. Wasn't there a Dutch angle at one point, Brian? There was. Yeah. 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 I was going to mention. Yeah. This yeah. cinematographer, uh, his name is Christian Matras. I probably butchered that, but he worked with <laughs> Ophus a lot. And I agree. Like, I feel like once we start finding out that they're getting closer and closer, we kind of are now being put. Uh, we're more mm-hmm. removed and we're looking at them through things because it's kind of like a salacious thing that they're doing. So we're mm-hmm. kind of watching yeah. their secret unfold. But I think there's a lot of warmth to the way they're shot because uh, even with the dance scenes, they're they're not saying much, but we're kind mm-hmm. of so close in there with them that you, I don't know, maybe I'm just super sentimental, but I just was like, I'm falling in love with their love. And I was like, I don't yeah. care about anything else. <laughs> I was like, I don't care if it's wrong. No, I agree. I think, and I think there is like just uh, such a truth about infatuation that, or love that you don't need to like talk and fill time and constantly be professing your love. There's just this like, it felt very real um, mm-hmm. that they're just together and they don't need to talk about it. They just like want to keep as many of these moments for them as they can because he has to go home alone and she has to go home to her husband um yeah and maybe maybe i'm i'm burned a little bit by rules of the game but i mean okay so we know that andre had at least one lover mm-hmm. we know mm-hmm. that these two sleep in separate beds that luisa or louise mm-hmm. and um andre so we, they sleep in different beds they don't have kids are we to assume that there's some sort of agreement between them like you know have fun but don't fall in love or or you know is it 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 seems to me like the marriage was kind of asking for extramarital comfort but um maybe not to this degree was what andre was expecting i don't know it just makes me sad when marriages don't have love in them yeah but maybe, maybe I, that's what they wanted yeah i wonder if it's just that we don't know how long they've been together. We assume it's been a while and there's no mention mm. of why they don't have kids or if they tried, they couldn't. Um, but it's clear, at least to me, that they have an agreement because even at the beginning, before she meets the the Baron, uh, there's like multiple men who are kind of courting mm-hmm. her and talking to her. He's like, I don't mind your suitors, but it's annoying when they're all together because I guess it's overwhelming mm. for him. And yeah. I assume that she probably knows about this other woman. Maybe she doesn't or doesn't. But they have an agreement that it's like, you guys have your maybe physical fun on the side, but like, you can't break the union. Like, there shouldn't be love involved. It should just be like fun that you're having, which is like wild for that time, I have to assume. And mm-hmm. to even show it on film in the 50s, yeah. uh, you're getting away with it because it's france as opposed to american films so they're able to show that there's the reason that we all say ah it's just france you know there's that stereotype (laughs) from where it comes from (laughs) yeah it is it is so interesting and and yeah there's a bunch of points where andre's like she's such a flirt even she even Mm -hmm. he even warns fabrizio like she's Mm -hmm. a flirt be careful um 
And yeah, I mean, I don't think, well, I, I mean, if they're both consenting and are fine with it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I imagine Andre is, is, once he learns of the depth of the, the relationship, is probably just embarrassed. You know, like my wife is, yeah. Not that not that she's fallen in love with someone else because he loves her or has that romantic love for her, but just she's out there being out there with someone else. And what about me? I don't know. Oh, it's yeah. sad. But I also wonder it if it's because yeah. the other suitors that you see are kind of younger. And I assume they're a bit younger, and this man is around the same age as Andre. So maybe he felt threatened, like it's more secure. This is not like a frivolous thing that she's just flirting with this guy. He's That's like, she point. could actually just leave me for this man. Yeah. He, it's finally the first suitor that he sees as an equal, as someone yes. who is a, of money and status and mm-hmm. can keep up in, uh, intellectually. Um, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Oh, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems more like almost an unspoken agreement because there's definitely like... It, there there aren't hints that Luis knows about Andre's lover at the beginning of the film. Uh, yeah. So does she suspect? I don't know. We don't really see any any signs of that. But um, but yeah, he's definitely aware at least that other men want her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a little bit of an unspoken like open relationship thing happening there but i'm certain that they wouldn't call it that or no. acknowledge uh to <laughs> each other that that's what's going on you put everything no is and the a theme throughout the movie is like what do you hide from your partner what are you comfortable with hiding from your partner what is a an acceptable lie to tell versus an unacceptable one and how does Mm -hmm. that all you know work out um and so andre lies to her in this movie as much as she lies to him but his lies socially i think primarily because he's a man (laughs) that socially (laughs) like his lies are acceptable to society at the time and hers are not um and so i think the movie is conscious of that and of the hypocrisy there um and critical of it and i think a a really good way very much i mean because if we had seen his affair at the beginning we'd be like oh well makes sense right even though it Mm -hmm. shouldn't make sense but we wouldn't question (laughs) it as much as her having multiple suitors and then falling in love pretty early on in the film uh yeah. with a man that her husband knows like it's not like they're friends but they're they know of each other and yeah the lies that he tells it seems like it's because he's trying to get her back but it's not really it's like he's trying to get back at her he's trying to put her back where she belongs back. like she she's yes, supposed to exactly. be his accessory he gave her the beautiful mm-hmm. earrings. He bought her love. She needs to now obey him or comply with his mm-hmm. expectations of her. It's um, a really chain of command type thing. Yeah. Very because he's a general. And even like the sequence where she loses the earrings, 
he's very much like, I'm going to take charge and find these earrings. I'm going to get to the bottom of this investigation of where the earrings went is in a very like generally way. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, well, at first I thought it was very tender that he was like looking all around for them. You know, he was like, okay, let me go check the carriage for you. Like, I think of course he thought those were incredibly expensive. I need mm-hmm. to find them. But I thought he was like, trying to take care of his wife because she lost something and she seems sad and he's not going to have his beautiful bride roll like on her hands and knees crawling around the floor like but then he starts accusing people and he you know he starts getting really really aggressive and machismo about it and mm-hmm. that's kind of where it went downhill it started off sweet and then went like real yeah not so not not as great but mm-hmm. i don't know i feel that yeah i think that's like a testament to Charles Boyer's performance because I don't know if you've seen other stuff with him but well probably his most popular role is in the film Gaslight so you kind of have that he's the gaslighter in Gaslight yeah but he has like a charming aura to him I don't know again it's yeah and it's the kind of like the look of his face and the French accent where you're kind of like I don't hate you even though I kind of should even in Gaslight you don't hate him until you need to hate him. Uh, it's like a charming, realize. yeah, it's like a charming authority where, yeah. I mean, I know it's the, it might be just to be the general uniform, but you like yeah. you <laughs> want to trust him and you want mm-hmm. to like at least hear him out in all regards, yeah. if not completely, you know, agree with him or just mm-hmm. follow what he says. It's, it might be the mustache and the broad shoulders, you yeah. know, <laughs> we're conditioned, man. I feel that. Well, let's talk about some of the other characters. So, of course, we have to talk about the uh, the Madame. Um, mm-hmm. I am not exactly sure what to make of her. I think I'm like 80 to 90% positive on her portrayal. But as I was watching the movie, I was sort of doing like a pros cons list of like, is this a good portrayal of a, of a woman? Because there are yeah. some things like the fainting spells and the tarot card reading the vanity that you know you could see as sort of stereotypical but the depth of how it's portrayed i think is brushes over most of that but i don't know i'm i'm still sort of struggling with it yeah i i think all of that is valid and I would agree as well. I think some of the stuff, um, one, I'll be honest, sometimes it's hard for me to be critical of a movie that I really like. So I'm going to try and find something here. <laughs> totally. but, hey, um, <laughs> we're not, we're not asking you to trash talk or yeah. No, no, but it, it's true. It's like, why, of course, you know, she's a fragile woman. So she has to be fainting and she likes tarot cards. I just kind of viewed it as the tarot cards is she's bored and rich. So yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. bored, rich person thing. The fainting, that one I did kind of have a problem with the first couple of times. And then I was like, it's used as a way to explain, you know, her death in the end of her just having yeah. a, some sort of a weak heart. They don't really go into enough depth. And I think it could mm-hmm. have been something different than her fainting. Um, but I think yeah. it's just the melodrama of this type of story. Right? And my my thought at first was like, are fainting spells even like that common or that <laughs> real of a thing? But I did some research and it's actually (laughs) relatively common. So this isn't like just a movie trope. 
sort of thing. Like this is something that happens when people get particularly stressed or in these types of situations that changes their blood pressure and they have a fainting response. So this can happen. I don't know if you can die from it, really. I didn't come across yeah. anything that said you could die from a fainting spell. But, um, you know, this this movie has, you know, the aspect of fate you've got sort of her her broken heart there at the end so i think in the world of the movie it works even if it's not <laughs> grounded mm-hmm. in actual medicine yeah <laughs> i mean i think too i mean i don't think her fainting spells were totally fabricated but i think it's also what the people around it around her kind of expected from her mm-hmm. um like you might i mean she's she's bored and rich like She's mm-hmm. going to be into weird, bored and rich things. Just go to California. There's weird stuff out there. You know, like they're, it's just what they do. But I think also, you know, she's bored and rich. There's this assumption of frivolity. There's an assumption of just, oh, woe is me. Um, and with, I don't know, the fainting to me fits in with the way that her husband treats her, the way that he, um, you know, buys back the earrings to avoid the, one conversation with her about her selling them um Mm -hmm. also she was in a position where she felt like she couldn't just be honest with him about her dad that she had to go and figure it out and why she chose such an i mean i'm sure the earrings were quite valuable but why she chose such an iconic piece of jewelry that she knows he he knows what it looks like like anyway yeah so i think that the the men in her life treat her as though she is frivolous having this fainting spell kind of plays into their expectations of her um, as, as this form of weakness, this, this weak woman. Um, And okay. I had a very different view of the end and maybe I need to rewatch it. My assumption, because you see that she had kind of like given the gifts or the earrings as a gift to the church. I thought she committed suicide. I thought she heard the one shot because it's, it, I don't know. I, again, I'm, I'm probably wrong, but since the earrings were the gift, it feels like she knew she was, it was like a, you know, hmm. giving away possessions before you die yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I thought she had like bequeathed to the earrings and because she knew that Andre would, was going to draw first in the duel and was a general. And so he was an excellent shot. Um, and we, so we hear the one shot, presumably that her lover is now dead. She has no reason to live. Um, yeah. I don't know. I might be wrong, but that's how I took it. So for I mean, me, it's that all kind implied. of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that 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 type of reaction of hers, you know, I can't possibly live without him kind of feels like the apex of this fainting spell type behavior. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think the fainting spells were fully fabricated, but I do think that there was a little bit of like a um self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, of like, well, it's what's expected of her, so that's what she's gonna do. And that's that's the yeah. way that she yeah. can receive attention um for the things that the people around her might think are frivolous yeah hmm. she's lonely. i agree yeah I she very much is i think the only time mm-hmm. the one fainting spell that i definitely think was real was when um Fabrizio falls or had the accident there with the horse and then because oh, yeah. she's so embarrassed by it because she wasn't i don't know that she fully wanted to admit to herself how much she cared for him and then yeah. it was in front of everyone and it was very obvious 
you know, yeah. because why would you yeah. just faint if it's someone you barely know? Um, mm-hmm. So her embarrassment, you know, kind of catapults her love for him mm-hmm. in that sense. But the ending, yeah, I definitely also read it as her, you know, committing suicide. And then on different watches, I'm like, maybe she did just die of a broken heart, but it yeah. leaves it up to you. The yeah. to just make their own yeah. choice. The fact that the earrings are a gift does seem to imply uh, yeah. some sort of premeditation there. So if that's a good point. Um, I think ultimately the character works because the movie has a great deal of sympathy for her and she is fully realized. And, you know, People have flaws. People are human. You know, a noble woman in France in 1900 is probably not going to be a radical feminist. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. we need to portray people as they are in some ways. And so I think the way that this movie handles her because it is with a great deal of sympathy and just a period accurate, you know, uh, way of engaging with the world. Um, I think it does work for me though. It does want to critique her in some ways, but I think it wants to critique certainly Andre more than her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the way it's handling this movie. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call this movie like anti-woman or anti-feminist in any regard. I don't think it's like no. I, I mean, I think if anything, it's it's trying to put you to view the complex feelings of a person. So she's not just cast aside as something frivolous. It kind of tries to give you a depth into understanding her longing for connection. Um, because I, I mean I don't know. Yes, she does not make a lot of good decisions, but I don't think a movie has to <laughs> only portray women in the brightest of light to be considered, exactly. you yeah. know, a, portraying strong female character or portraying female characters in a way that is um, not minimizing them to mm-hmm. them as accessories to men. If anything, this movie is uh here's a depth of a woman and her specific circumstance and kind of the different ways that men are dumb around her, which I always love. Um, Yeah. Like you see, I think especially with Andre, I don't think Andre is like particularly the bad guy. Um, I think he's in a stinky situation and acts, acts wrong sometimes, but I don't think he's like the villain. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's just really funny that you see him go through many iterations of expressing his 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 male superiority. Um, where you have him first, well, I'll find the earrings. I'll take charge of this. I'll accuse people publicly and look for you know the bad guy, and and then he'll realize what's wrong and he'll silently buy back the earrings, use his reputation and his 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 position to encourage the jeweler into silence you know he'll he'll use a logic and power to um 
control his wife in that circumstance. He'll try to control his wife's partner, you know, Fabrizio in that relationship. He'll then get embarrassed when she falls in love with Fabrizio. And then when all else fails and he can't logic and power position his way into getting what he wants, he uses fisticuffs or dueling to then say, well, fine, I'll have physical power over you. And so you kind of just see Andre roll through all of these iterations of of trying to gain power based on the position and the authority mm-hmm. that he already has ultimately to just have like a wiener swinging contest to try yeah. to win over this other man and ultimately dominate his wife who doesn't love him. Like nothing he yeah. does can force his wife to love him. So I, he's just a desperate man doing whatever he can using every advantage he has and it's not good mm-hmm. enough because he can't you can't force someone to love you yeah yeah i it's think very that's exactly... petty but also very believable yeah yeah i mean i know this this is based off a book and the name of the author is escaping me but i think even the script is handled really well and they're fully fleshed out i think something you said hannah is that um this is not an anti-feminist film and it might not even be a feminist film that's up to interpretation but what i love about films like this is that it treats women as human beings with Mm -hmm. like flaws we all have flaws so instead of making her seem like she's totally the villain or super innocent and no one's totally the villain or super innocent everyone's done something wrong and people are still operating from the heart and i think overall is the fact that she doesn't she's not in love with anymore anymore she loves and cares for him because they still Mm -hmm. live together but they're not only do they sleep in separate beds they have totally separate rooms and they don't really spend time together he's only kind of wanting to be in her vicinity when he realizes oh i'm going to lose her in my life fully Mm -hmm. so they have like a comfort with each other but i don't know sometimes i feel like he probably still loves her um but she definitely is no longer in love with this man at yeah. all. That's why she doesn't, she's like, okay, I'll give away these earrings instead of all this other stuff I could give away. Right. Yeah. So it yeah. has no sentimental value for her anymore mm-hmm. until the Baron gives them yep. to her. So let's talk about the Baron, Fabrizio. <laughs> so yeah. we have so a... handsome. Oh my uh, goodness. Yes. That yeah. jaw, oh that God. hair. Oh, beautiful man. Yes. <laughs> He'd be less handsome if he wasn't quite so old for some reason, like him being the George Clooney effect. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no. I got a better one. The Steve Carell effect. Really? Have you seen him now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Yeah. 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 Got that. uh, Yeah. Silver Fox situation. Yeah. Silver Fox situation going on. Mm hmm. Well, we've got a little bit of a same actor corner here. Not quite because we haven't seen Vittorio De Sica act, but we have watched Bicycle Thieves, which mm-hmm. uh, for some reason is our least listened to episode. I don't, I don't That's know one of your favorite movies. Bicycle yeah. Thieves. Yeah. Really? really? Oh, like man, Bicycle that movie is so good. It's More wonderful. people have listened Everyone to like Daughters of the... You know, yeah. it's funny when we record these because we're all over the place with movies. I mean, this list has got multiple countries, movies I've never heard of, movies that are like classics. And you can kind of tell 
after we watch a movie and then after we're done recording, like that's going to get very few listens or that's going to get a lot mm-hmm. of listens. And it's totally fine. I mean, people can listen to whatever they want. But mm-hmm. I, I I, kind of assumed Bicycle Thieves would be up there. Me too. Just, yeah. It's especially one of with the how more, much Brian loves it. Like probably top half of popularity in the sight and sound list uh, yeah. in terms of just number of people who have seen it. But anyway, mm-hmm. Vittorio De Sica <laughs> in this, he plays the Baron. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh felicia you you mentioned um a little bit about his performance and and you really loving it so i would love to hear more from you on uh on this performance yeah i a huge fan of his directing work and i know he was also an actor uh in italy quite a bit i think he's well this is pre cassavetes but in that vein of like i'm going to act to get funding for my films uh and i think he genuinely did like acting as well but he definitely did it so he could fund his own films uh this is a huge role he was also nominated for an oscar not for this one but for a farewell to arms as supporting actor and i think the what a director is is to direct the actors so an understanding of acting should be essential but not all directors act and for him to come in and play such a great role and match people who've been acting their entire life is I, I love all the performances, but his is my favorite. There's just such a a warmth and I don't know, it's hard not to fall in love with this man, whether you're attracted to him or not. It also helps that he's very beautiful, in my opinion, <laughs> and also Hannah's too. Where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, the minute he looks at her you kind of i just was like oh i'm feeling flushed right now like i'm getting butterflies along with her and he's just so soft-spoken and you can feel the love and like when he puts cheek on her cheek i'm just gushing but i just love his performance and that he's someone who obviously listened to his director despite the fact that him being a well-known established director and you know assimilating into this if you didn't know who he was i don't think he would not like you would not question that he was like an, a long-standing actor so mm-hmm. i don't know it's just those three those three together are great but the baron is my favorite yeah the love is so believable like there's just this the way he acts this i think is the first instance you see of tenderness um Mm -hmm. you don't and I understand I mean yes like Andre and Louise they've been married for a long time like the romance romance hopefully lasts a long time but for them it's 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 pretty much evaporated maybe he was romantic with her in the beginning but the way the Baron yeah the, the touching of the cheek the longing looks like there's just this like building of devotion that you see and he acts that so well in a way that it's not mm-hmm. overly dramatic it's it's the small things that he does and you're just like oh like you're swooning yeah. watching it it's mm-hmm. really beautiful he did a great job mm-hmm. and with the amount of plot and the way things are moving in this movie you don't get a whole lot of time devoted to their love story before they are in love and mm-hmm. so the movie has to do a lot in a short period of time, which is typical for movies. And, you know, you think of old Hollywood and they're just suddenly in love and and that sort of thing. But this just builds it in those, you know, five to ten minutes 
in a really compelling way part of that is is his performance being so great and such a contrast to the way that uh andre has behaved towards her um and then yeah some of the choices about what to include in that period and all of the dancing and their conversations and the i don't love you i don't love you sort mm-hmm. of thing that they do that's mm-hmm. And and that it's a, a forbidden love, I think, always heightens things a little bit. Um, yeah. So very much. Yeah. I also uh, liked him like counting down. Oh, it's like three days before I see you next. You know, there's this many days before I see you next. And he never seems like he's dominating over her, whereas Andre stands up very straight and is always kind of like a, you know, presence over her he wants to match her and be with her and they kind of just melt together. Whereas you can see the clear divide Mm. between Louise and Andre and the other two, like right off the bat, even when they, when he first sees her at like the customs line and they make that eye contact and they meet a couple weeks later, she's like, Oh, it's fate. And like, they immediately off the bat, you're like, okay, I know what's happening here. And I'm along for the ride. (laughs) And that he doesn't make, or uh, Fabrizio doesn't make fun of her for calling it fate, you know, like you mm-hmm. can, you can kind of, yeah. I mean, it, there's no evidence for this, but there's kind of an, in my head, there's an assumption that Andre thinks her tarot cards and her believing in fate and her, her, her fantastic fantasy of the way she thinks is probably really dumb. And that the Baron's yeah. just like, oh, that's interesting. Oh yes, it is fate. Cause you're a hottie. I'm a hottie. Like let's, you know, <laughs> I, I also really love, I mean, I know this was in the 50s, so like you can't put steamy moments on screen. But I really like that you only kind of see them in public, at least at the beginning, you only see them in public at these balls together or at customs or in areas where they're out in public. They're not going to have like groping makeout sessions in Mm -hmm. front of all these people. So you really see this like delicate, like, we're we're we have this secret but we're in public and i don't know i think the way that you watch their their love blossom in public settings where they can't just be out um actively pursuing each other is really sweet and tender i mean i'm assuming they do have the private moments but that we don't mm-hmm. see them i don't think we need to see them to believe that their love is growing um which is really I think- refreshing that's what makes it even more powerful. Like even the scene where it's dancing and dancing and then all of a sudden they're the only people dancing and the musicians are like, I need to leave. We've been here for so long. <laughs> but like just them, they're dancing. There's no music playing anymore. But that just shows, you know, how deep they've gotten. I think it's just a, a beautiful moment. Like we don't need, yeah. like you said, all those, you know, steamy love scenes. That would be like, <laughs> I think it'd be off-putting in this type of movie. Oh, um, for sure. But we do get a good kiss scene and the little, whatever you call those. Carriage sort of thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, carriage thing. (laughs) And it's like that one, then you're like, okay, finally we get that. And then, well, then we know what happens after that. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, you know, you could you could watch this with your children and they could be like, yeah. oh, they're falling in love. Like you, and you mm-hmm. could get the same thing out of it, even though as an adult, you know, that like there's off camera mm-hmm. things happening too to further yeah. the love. Mm. yeah yeah 
So the the earrings returning back to Madame from uh, Constantinople and her talk of fate does it doesn't bother me in this movie sometimes coincidences like that in movies do bother me but i'm finding they bother me less and less as long as the movie has like an internal logic of what's mm-hmm. acceptable and and not acceptable but how, how did that strike you does it does it bother you that something so unlikely <laughs> takes place in this movie no, not yeah. at all, especially yeah. in this movie. I think, as you said, there's internal logic. We see the purchase and like it being moved around. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it is totally coincidence that, you know, he gave it to her, she sold it, and the Baron happened to be there and buy it. But sometimes, sometimes stuff like that happens. And I think uh, the story calls for something like this. It's kind of like a whimsical esque story. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't question it. It doesn't bother me at all. And I like the, I think you mentioned, uh, oh, I think you mentioned like the, the jeweler (laughs) and just having to resell it. So it's like funny. (laughs) How, so my, my joke was uh, to Hannah after we watched this movie was how mad would the jeweler's account be about these earrings? Because he comes in possession of them like four separate times. So that's a lot on an income statement. And then you've also got, I don't know what the the French equivalent of the IRS in the 1900s looks like, but anytime you have like, you come in possession of an expensive asset without getting, because he pays out the money, but then gets the money back. And so now he has both of the money and the earrings. Or no, mm-hmm. he he does give the earrings to Andre, but then at one point Andre pays him for the earrings that he's reacquired, and so like it's not clean in a way that would definitely raise some auditing suspicion. So, I mean, <laughs> but at the same time, like you're always going to sell it for more than you bought it for. So the accountant's like, well, the numbers keep going up. So yeah, I'm sure he made a good amount of profit throughout this movie. Yeah. Of this oh, yeah. one, he's the real he's the real hero of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that jeweler. It's like the star bellied sneeches and the the guy who has the star printing machine makes a huge profit in this little town and then leaves away. It's the the jeweler here. Yeah, he's yeah. he's making all the money. Mm-hmm. It also adds like a little layer of like uh, lightness to the story. Not that it's super heavy, but it's you know what's going to happen, and that's yeah. like a instance of comedy when he shows up. Without well, it being too other... cheesy. The other instance of comedy is their last name always being like obscured or someone forgetting it. Madame de, oh, what is it? Yeah. yeah. So you get like these moments of levity in the melodrama that most melodramas would not have. Mm-hmm. And I think it does does sort of wonders for the tone of the movie to have, have those sprinkled in. Yeah, yeah. I think the lacking of a of a last name i really appreciated i don't know i thought i was just like yeah because this could happen to anybody in this class like this isn't this is just a story that happens to the wealthy um 
this this circumstances all these circumstances it also made me think of like oh gosh fez in that 70s show where the janitor and scrubs like the the, the i was trope thinking of, not... of wilson from home improvement where you don't the see his face oh, yeah. The fence. Yeah. yeah or just like you you never learn someone's real name and it's just kind of this yeah. like running joke where there's like a car going by or you get interrupted yeah. or you i've never you seen know. it in a drama though it's always in comedies yeah mm-hmm. it's interesting it's I like point. it though. I thought it was great. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, that was it charming. Is. It is. All right. Well, any uh, final thoughts on this movie? I mean, I hope that if you're listening to this, you have seen it, um, because I guess there's a bit of a spoiler at the end oh, there. But... We're a spoiler podcast for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. I think people know what they're getting into, but They've I hope had... that. Also, 70 years to watch this movie <laughs> exactly and it doesn't matter if that's you know about that it doesn't ruin the rest of the film for you because yeah. i think i think it's one that people should watch and re-watch uh mm-hmm. give it some space between watches and because there's so much going on and it's just so beautifully shot each watch you discover something different and i don't think for me at least the my enjoyment just grows with each watch so i'm hoping people will go back and revisit it yeah, certainly. Absolutely. I don't think I have anything else on this movie. I just really enjoyed it and people should check mm. it out. It's great. No, I thought this movie was lovely. I thought it was really beautiful. I think it 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 calls into question just romance and obligation and the little lies you should and shouldn't tell your partner. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there's really anything in this that like should be withheld none of this is white lies these were all like i don't respect you enough to tell you the truth lies and that's not great um but i you know marry for love and all that don't don't marry for obligation or social Mm -hmm. advancement if if you're in a position where you can make that choice cool exactly brian can you tell me something really interesting about 2001 a space odyssey I can. So yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey is going to be our 100th movie. I've committed to sharing 99 facts about it. So I do a fact per episode. We like yeah. to get our uh, guests' opinions on the movie. Felicia, I understand you have some spicy takes on <gasps> 2001 A Space Odyssey. Spicy takes. Yeah, it's, I admittedly do not like this movie at all. <laughs> um, and I, I totally respect what people do and I get what people get out of it. I do like Kubrick. I just find this film is meandering. <laughs> like yeah. I just I don't really get anything from it. Um I can appreciate the craft, but story-wise, it does absolutely nothing for me. Um I'll say that. That's what I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Felicia, that is a much more succinct and well phrased reasons why I don't like the movie or didn't like the movie <laughs> very much. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a very much a good for you, not for me kind of situation. But Brian's exactly. convinced yeah. I'm wrong. So no. <laughs> I think everyone should have um, at least a couple of movies where they just ignore the the consensus like you should if you're watching movies critically you're you should have some opinions that stray Mm -hmm. outside of even what the people you respect and generally you know agree with on 
you know, you should have some movies that you don't respond to that they do. You should have some movies that you do respond to that they don't. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that being said, 2001 A Space Odyssey is great. Y'all are crazy. Um, It's kind of how I feel about Inception. (laughs) I think it's about the time on our weekly podcast where I crap on Inception. Should we add that that as a recurring segment? Hannah's uh, (laughs) Hannah's didn't like Inception corner. (laughs) It could be Hannah's didn't like Inception corner slash Hannah loved Babylon way more than people are giving Mm. it credit for. Mm, It's starting. The cult cult following is already starting for Babylon for sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Where were y'all a year ago? Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Tell me about 2000. Well, I was I was at the party a year ago. Y'all can mm. join me whenever, yeah. however late you are. Um, <laughs> Brian, talk about 2001: A Space Odyssey, please. The journey in 2001: A Space Odyssey was originally supposed to be to Saturn, but they couldn't reproduce the rings effectively, so they made it to Jupiter instead. And that is our fact for the day. And That's I am now good. out of facts, so I need to go search for some more. Isn't Jupiter a gas giant? Yeah. How can it you is. go? Is it is the gas dense enough that you can walk on it? Well, they don't land on oh, Jupiter. Okay. In the, yeah, it turns into like trippy acid trip stuff once they get to no. Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So. Felicia, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, um, mainly through the podcast stuff. So I have a website, seeingfacesinmovies.com. There's an Instagram for it under the same uh, handle. With Twitter, as I'm sure you know, the the character limit is awful for (laughs) handles. So it's seeing movies pod, but you can just put it in the search bar. And then my personal Twitter is Cinemaroni. So those three are places if you want to see yeah. me chat Wonderful. about movies. that's a really cute twitter handle <laughs> thanks yeah that's pretty great uh for the month of october my letterbox handle is brian boomis because mm-hmm. oh, halloween spooky yeah i saw a bunch of people were changing to halloween themed names and i felt a little left out so i changed mine yeah to are you gonna um, do that for every holiday like flag day and Definitely not flag. Grandparents' day. day. <laughs> uh, grandparents' day would be fun. I need you to think of some puns for me. So, yeah. oh, Hannah that's is the, the pun master of our oh, yeah. our family. So, um, Molly Pride. Yeah, I could be found on Letterboxd, Twitter, Blue Sky, um, and primarily more on Blue Sky these days than Twitter slash X um which i'm loving the depth of film conversation that's happening there is pretty neat um also you should uh subscribe and rate our podcast if you're listening to this helps helps Mm -hmm. people discover us we love to be discovered Mm -hmm. so yeah go do that I'm not on Twitter or blue sky or letterbox but I like to Mm -hmm. think that my witty comments kind of osmosis into Brian's blue sky and letterboxed and Twitter yeah. just through like, you know, mm-hmm. he might not give me full credit and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't need a presence <laughs> there, but I'm pretty sure that, that my, my wittyisms have shown up in some yeah. regard. Hannah and can also be reached via Christmas gram. You <laughs> want to send gram? her a Christmas gram. That's one way. 
that you could, a Christmas uh, could reach out. like the the groups of people who go and sing Christmas songs for oh like Christmas like carols a, gotcha yeah, yeah yeah not not a Christmas carol necessarily but you can like pay a company to go like show up at someone's doorstep and sing a song that's fair what they really want is the traveling um oh goodness what's in Harry Potter book two where Gilderoy Lockhart pays some sort of magical creature to go around singing valentines dressed up as cupid dwarfs elves elves would make sense if it's christmas i know i'm trying to remember i think it might not have really been christmas like... elves and uh harry potter though no there's house elves that's why i'm pretty sure it's not elves <laughs> it might be um gnomes like from because you learn about the gnomes oh. earlier in that book when they're denoming the garden at the um the burrow Anyway, I would like a Christmas gnome to come sing me a, a Christmas <laughs> All right, so that is how that. to reach Hannah. A little more difficult, but it is worth the effort to to reach Hannah. Or the St. Bernard's, the little barrel in their necklace, in their yeah, collar. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's another way. Dogs. Yeah. Send me dogs. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so next week, uh, we are going to be watching uh, watching Goodfellas, y'all. Mm-hmm. So this is um, not, not a family film. Um, put the kids to bed for this one. Keep the volume low, but um, have a good time. Uh, Goodfellas is not currently streaming, so your options are... Can you rent it on Prime, babe? Brian? Yeah, you can rent it on okay. Prime or YouTube or wherever. Or go to your library and pick it up. They probably have it. Is that where we got it? We're watching it some soon, right? I did not rent it from the library. We mm. haven't decided what we were doing yet. But with Killers of the Flower Moon coming out, we're going to release... The Goodfellas episode right before it comes out on a Friday. So it'll be perfect the, timing. The reason why that makes sense is because Martin Scorsese directed both The Goodfellas and Killers of the Flower Moon. This if, is uh, true. I don't, think we men- <laughs> I don't think we mentioned that yet. So mm-hmm. Scorsese, Athan, sort of. And um, yeah. So Felicia, thank you so much for joining us. You had... It's always fun to watch a movie and talk about it with someone who like really loves that movie. So I'm glad you got to pick yeah. one that you really loved. No, I really appreciate you inviting me on and having me on to gush about a movie that I really, really love. So it was a pleasure. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, y'all, this has been What a Picture. We'll see you next week. Bye.